0: Manchester Your Airport Man. Hello and welcome to Manchester Your Airport Man. I'm Tom Fordyce. And I'm Adam Chopp. And together we're taking you behind the scenes to the beating heart of Manchester Airport. On this episode, we're finding out what it's really like to work in the skies with the people paid to have a jet-set lifestyle. The cabin crew.
1: My entire training was filmed for an airline TV programme called Airline.
2: All the players were just looking at the cabin crew and making sure that their face was all right. And if it wasn't all right, then that's when they really start to panic.
1: My professional head kicks in, where if I saw these people on the street, you know, Lady Gaga or somebody, I would be a quivering wreck.
0: Right, Adam, this always strikes me as the most glamorous job you can have around an airport.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've got huge respect for these guys. I mean, yeah, they get to um, do the glamorous bit of, you know, being real-life jet-setters and travelling around the world, but they're also the one that everyone looks to for reassurance that, you know, everything's all right when they're travelling. I heard an anecdote, I think, from Rio Ferdinand recently travelling back from an England World Cup and they had terrible turbulence, and he said all the players were just looking at the cabin crew and making sure that their face was alright and if it wasn't alright then that's when they really started to panic and I think all the England players were sort of tears rolling down their cheeks and panicking and just the way in which they calm them down, just chat to them and just have all the techniques up their sleeve to just make everyone feel relaxed and super calm and just enjoy the flight is amazing to see because no one wants to be a nervous flyer but no one wants to be sat next to a nervous flyer as well so when <laughs> everyone's grateful when that calms down.
0: That's the word for me, it's calmness. It's calmness when the flight might not be as comfortable as flights can be. Sometimes it's just calmness with a range of different personalities and the way that people react to flying. It also strikes me as unbelievable hard work. There's not much sitting around. There's not many tea breaks, are there, for cabin crew?
2: No, that's right, and I think... Particularly on some of the short haul routes, I don't think people realise that you know these guys can be doing three, four rotations, you know, in one day. So it is a busy job. You've always got to be switched on, always be thinking of safety. You know, you've always got to be um, polite and have your best customer service head on as well. So you know, I don't think it's just, it's anywhere near as straightforward as what people think. And for me, that also just hammers home just you know how much we've got to treat these guys with respect and when you know people do think it's their holiday and they can you know laugh and joke that's fine but when it crosses the line and you sort of get that abusive behavior um for these guys who are doing just doing a great job to keep everyone safe and to get them on their way really in in a fun way you know it really isn't isn't okay when people cross that line um but as always they do an impeccable job of staying professional even in those circumstances
0: Today's guest is used to a life in the skies. Nick Robotham is a member of Cabin Crew for one of the world's most recognised airlines, Virgin Atlantic. Nice to see you, Nick. Thank you. Nice to see you too. I've got so many questions for you. Um, I think the first one has to be, when did you first know that you wanted to be a Cabin Crew member?
1: I think I realised that my forte was in service. I was about... Sixteen, seventeen. I didn't really realise I would be coming cabin crew at that particular time. Um, I always was very interested in travel, always wanted to travel the world, didn't really know how I'd be doing it and how I'd form a career around that. But uh, yeah, uh, a friend of mine said I'd be good at it and I thought well, I'll give it a whirl. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. So I, I filled an application in, sent it off and got an interview and the rest is history as they say.
0: You are definitely the smartest and best dressed person we've spoken to on this podcast. Today you're wearing a very natty, (laughs) four or five, five button grey waistcoat with a sort of purple back to it. You've got... Do you like that? I do like it. What colour are we calling your trousers?
1: We're calling them a, I think it's an aubergine colour.
0: It is an aubergine and a slightly brighter red tie and you had a very natty jacket on Yes, I did. I'll
1: I'll pop that back on for you for a full catwalk experience later.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So that's one I imagine of the many perks of being a cabin crew member let's talk about some of the destinations that you've been to where do you fly to
1: currently i'm manchester based cabin crew and uh, we fly to three destinations daily from manchester which are mainly to the states orlando in florida new york and atlanta these are key hubs for our partner which are delta airlines in the united states our customers can connect onto their flights down in, in all their destinations Florida had been a bit different, it's more point to point travel where we carry a lot of families going to you know, Disneyland, going out to the coast, going down to Miami, meeting cruise ships, things like that. Seasonally we do Barbados mm. from Manchester. And next year, we restart our Vegas route, Las Vegas. Um, Smile Manchester. on your face, then. Nick. I know, yeah. <laughs> you if you like the, the slot Vegas. machines, it's a good place to go. It's the Disneyland for adults <laughs> it in Nevada, yeah. It's great. Uh, so we start that in June, and again, it's what our customers wanted.
0: One thing I've always wondered, Nick, mm. is how much time you get to spend as cabin crew in the destination city. So let's say you were flying mm. to New York. Right. Do you just stop in New York and have a little bit of fun? Or do you fly straight back? Is it sort of once every three stops that you get some time to spend there?
1: Well, to be honest, I would say there's always fun to be had regardless of how long you spend there. Generally speaking, it's 24 hours that we'll get in a destination as a minimum. And there's a lot of fun to be had in 24 hours. Um, but depending on the frequencies, we can spend up to four or five days in destination. So, you know, you could be in the Caribbean on the beach enjoying a cocktail for a couple of days. Certain routes that we fly, you know, we have to have a couple of days there because of uh, flight time limitations. So it could be the Far East, you know, minimum two nights, South Africa, South America, West Coast, uh, USA. So, yeah, you get to see a lot of the places, and uh, sometimes you got a little bit longer, you can get a bit a little further afield, you can you can go a little further out, say so you're in San Francisco, you can go up the coast, down the coast a little bit more. It never gets boring. <laughs> it never gets boring.
0: This is making me wonder, Nick, what your top tips for dealing with jet lag are. Because if you're yeah. landing in the city, your head is still in Manchester time.
1: It sure is.
0: And you've got twenty four hours to have some fun. How do you play it?
1: I've been flying for quite a long time now, I'm a bit of a veteran. So I've I've kind of trained my body as and when i need to sleep so if i'm going to the far east we have the opportunity to sleep on board because uh, some of our airplanes have special areas for crew rest as we call it so we're able to get a few hours sleep there depending on the time of day that you arrive say you arrive in las vegas in the middle of the afternoon you go on and get yourself a little bit of sleep because it's eight possibly nine hours behind and then you go out partying in the evening (laughs) because if it's kind of six o'clock in the morning in the UK Wow! by that point. So if you like a mimosa for breakfast, then (laughs) it works. You can make it work. And it all depends. It's all pretty destination centric to what you're going to be doing and what funds to be had.
0: So I'm sure no two days are the same, but let's try and give us an idea of a day in the life for you, Nick, as cabin crew flying out of Manchester. How would your day begin?
1: So my day would begin with me getting up, (laughs) making sure that my uniform is pristine, iron to an inch of its life and steam to an inch of its life, making sure I'm looking sharp. I generally check in about two hours before the flight's due to depart, go and drop my bag. I'll then come to the uh, briefing Virgin crew room. We will conduct a safety briefing and service briefing Amongst you know, usually about between thirteen and nine cabin crew on each flight. Uh, we'll talk about the order of the day, how it's going to pan out. Uh, we'll be introduced to our flight crew that'll be flying us there. They'll tell us about the day, uh, about the weather, and you know, should we be encountering any lumps and bumps, flight times, etc. And then we'll get out to the plane, get it prepped uh, for our guests to come on board, and then we will take to the skies. And use our virgin flair and wow our customers. (laughs) Um, Yeah, they're very, very long days and it can be tiring, but they can also be really rewarding because you never know who you're going to meet on these flights. You know, people are traveling for all different types of reasons, whether it be, you know, going on the holidays or, you know, it could be a sad occasion, could be going for funerals. So you, you really can make a difference to people's journeys depending on the situation and it's interesting to listen to people it's interesting to find out what the reason is for them to be with you for that uh, amount of time and they are a kind of captive audience so you can well wow them as much as you like and sometimes you you walk away from these flights with friends aren't just you know your customers you end up forming relationships with people and there's been many people, many cabin crew and flight crew that have met people on planes and married them and all sorts. So, yeah, a day is pretty interesting and very varied. I mean, I'm sure you've seen through all our advertising campaigns what fantastic airline we are and what we've got to offer on board and uh, what makes our customers come back and what makes us stand out from the crowd, really, um, and what makes our customers want to book with Virgin, yeah, it's, it's a great company to work for.
0: Until you mentioned that, I hadn't really considered how many different people you might meet and how many different mm. reasons there might be for people flying. Yeah. And people are different sorts of flyers, aren't they? There's excited flyers yeah. who see it as this is the start of the holiday. Sure, You get your anxious flyers who might be a little bit quiet, I guess, when you greet them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get the ones who might be flying for business. So you're dealing with a lot of different people in different sort of mental spaces, aren't you, when you yeah. greet them on board?
1: And sometimes you kind of have to, I use the word, barcoding because they're not going to tell you straight away why they're there but as as like I say as a seasoned pro now I can kind of get a guesstimate of what they're there for and why they're traveling and they have different requirements you know some business customers want to be left alone families going on holidays kiddywinks that are running everywhere Give them a, a bowl of sweets to, you know, that we give out or lollipops that we give out during, the, you know, get them involved in the service of the day. They love that type of stuff. I you bet know. they do. Point them out, you know, the newest Disney movie that's on the in-flight entertainment. You now that'll keep them quiet for a couple of hours <laughs> so their parents can have a gin and tonic, you know, relax. <laughs> There's
0: so many things you have to think about, aren't there? Yeah. What is your single favourite part of the job, Nick?
1: It's definitely the lifestyle I often take it for granted now when I say, you know, I'm, I'm off to New York this week. I'm going to be in Barbados at the weekend and I'm going to top my tan up. The job brings these benefits that you just don't get in a, a regular job. The lifestyle is really appealing and it's quite seductive once you get into it. I, I honestly thought that I'd be doing this job for maybe a year or so to see the world I started at 19 and I'm 42 now, so I don't know where it went (laughs) right. So I I obviously got seduced by it and uh, I'm still loving it now. Isn't that
0: great? So you're you're a Manchester boy, aren't you, originally? I am, yes. So what what a wonderful thing to grow up in Manchester and you live in Manchester hmm. now and just pop to the airport and get to do all these wonderful things.
1: Yeah, it's super. I I mean, I started off at Manchester initially, did a few years here and uh, worked out of London as well. Had the opportunity to work in other parts of the world with the job. So I've had the experience of being able to work abroad too. Yeah, but now I'm back in Manchester. Most people do say, what's your favorite destination? And my favorite destination is Manchester. Oh. It is home. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I do, I mean, I love the travel and I love to see the world, but there's no place like home. Okay, and I love coming back to Manchester. I'm very proud of my city. I'm very proud of uh, being a Mancunian.
0: Nick, tell me about the training process you go through for your job.
1: When I initially started at Virgin, it was a six-week intense course. A majority of that is spent on the safety side of it and aviation medicine. And then a proportion of it is then spent on the more glamorous side of it, of the cabin service and what our customers' expectations are in terms of service. It's intense. It was intense. I'm sure it still is. I've been a long time out of school since then, but um, you had to make the high grades. You had to show the bit, you had the ability to retain the information. There's a lot to learn. And yeah, you've got to pass a lot of exams, do a lot of physical training, and be able to prove that you have got, we used to call it the virgin flare back then. Oh, nice. Yeah, that sparkle about us and that it was it. We were able to translate it from the classroom onto the planes so yeah it was very intense included a lot of studying we call it rig training where we've got mock-up aeroplanes we'd sit in the rigs and be served by one another or we would be at the doors practising mock-up evacuations and yeah, we're in swimming pools, doing uh, what we call wet drills, getting people onto rafts, should the aircraft land on water. You remember them in the mm. safety briefings that you get on the plane. Uh, so yeah, doing all that practice and smoke-filled cabins. So it, it's very hard, but at the end of it, very rewarding. You get your, we used to get our wings and uh, get a little handshake and a cuddle from Richard Branson. I believe he's a bit busy at the moment. So I'm sure somebody equally as qualified is uh, stepping in giving the wings out.
0: And I guess there's stuff happening all the time, isn't there, as airlines adjust to passengers' needs and think about new elements of training that needs to go on?
1: There is, yeah. And at the moment, we've just recently, actually, just struck up a new partnership with Guide Dogs, uh, Charity Guide Dogs, It enables us as cabin crew, um, we're getting the training to identify more needs for our guests and customers that are partially sighted or blinded and that they come on with their their dogs, uh, their needs, uh, what the dog's needs are as well, because they are little living, breathing creatures too. And we hope to roll that out fleet wide to all our cabin crew. And again, that then helps People that when they're making a choice of carrier that they might choose us over our competitors and want to fly with us.
0: Tell me Nick, in the time that you've worked at Manchester Airport, how much has it changed?
1: Well, it's changed a lot. <laughs> um, I started flying out of Manchester in the year 2000 and my entire training was filmed for an airline TV programme called airline <laughs> nice, I remember it well. holiday airline it was yeah. called um so that documented my initial start my of my flying career back then uh but it's it's it, when you do catch glimpses of it and you see i mean you, you can see how the airports evolved from back then uh, it was state-of-the-art you know all them years ago but again you know that's 20 years past it's modernized a hell of a lot I mean, there's parts of it that are really modern and there's parts of it that uh, start in the regeneration projects. Uh, it can't all be done at once. Some place, some areas are a little long in the tooth, but are going to get freshened up. I mean, I wish I could say the same for myself, but uh, <laughs> unfortunately not. It doesn't happen with human beings. But uh, yeah, I'm sure it's going to look absolutely fantastic. There's areas of Terminal 2 which are world-class, and Manchester is, is definitely heading in that direction. It's up there with some of the best airports in the world. And I know for a fact that the investment that uh, Manchester are injecting into the airport, they will be up there as one of the best.
0: It must have changed, particularly Nick, in that period after 9-11, because before then the airport was a very different place.
1: Yeah. And I, like I say, I started my career at the end of, end of 2000. So in the space of 12 months, the industry changed. It was turned on its head due to the um, terrorist attacks on September 11th in New York and in various other parts of the US. You know, there were no liquid restrictions back then. Security was it, it, always tight, but not as tight as it is now. When I was a child, you could go to the gates and just before I started my flying career, where now unfortunately, viewing spaces and places like that are kind of restricted and a lot further away that what we call airside, which is as you know closer to the aircraft, which is understandable but again that's change, and a lot can happen in twenty years, um, but I always have fond memories of My youth spent at the airport, whether it going on family holidays or starting my my, my job here, a lot has changed. But the people haven't. The people are, are always going to be the same, I think. I think that's northern culture. Everyone has a smile. Everyone's happy for you to be here. Everybody wants you to enjoy yourself and go off and see the world. And What a great place to start it from.
0: Now, I don't know if you're allowed to answer this question Mm, or this (laughs) is being too indiscreet, but are there any famous faces that (laughs) you have served down the years?
1: So, as I say, I've just given my age away a little bit, answer there with the amount of years I've been flying. I've told you that I'm 42, but in 23 years flying, I've had the opportunity to serve them, look after them, look after their families, look after their entourages. It's a real privilege to, you know, because these are people's icons they are some of my icons
0: so how do you play it cool then how do you keep your professional veneer
1: i think once i put the vivian on the uniform it forms a part of armor yeah that makes sense and my professional head kicks in where if i saw these people on the street which i wouldn't see the likes of you know lady gaga or somebody like that walking down the street i would be you know a quivering wreck You know, I I don't even know if I'd be able to speak to them. But, yeah, it it gives you the mental strength to be able to approach them as normal people, which which they always appreciate, and to be able to show a bit more of my personality as well. But they also, high-profile customers come with high-profile followings. So Mm. we always want to make sure that, you know, whether they are high profile or not, that each customer is treated the same and made to feel special. And if they have got special requests, that we try and fulfil them for them. But generally speaking, everybody that I work with, you know, whether they be high profile or not, tend to get off smiling. And I think that we've accomplished what we set out to do when they're getting off and they're smiling.
0: Oh, absolutely. That must be really rewarding. Yeah. What about bizarre moments that you've experienced because you get different people on board and different things happen on flights. What are the strangest things that you've experienced on a flight?
1: In terms of bizarre moments, you could go through the entire list of things that people ask you. Have you ever seen (laughs) people joining the Mile High Club and things like that? Tick, yes. Tick, yes. Tick, yes. I've seen all sorts of bizarre things over the years And it's really hard to list them all. If you asked me a question of, you know, have you seen a particular incident or, you know, people getting on in fancy dress or, you know, I would say joining the Mile High Club. Yes, I have. I've I've seen it all. And I, I would say nothing surprises me at all. The general public can always, always keep you laughing and keep you interested Everyone's different. Everybody's bringing a different A game all the time. So (laughs) you have to be able to just adapt and, uh, like I say, not be surprised by it.
0: I was going to ask what your favourite flight to work on is, but then Mm. I'm I'm now wondering whether it's a mix of the colleagues you're working with, the destination and the sort of mix of passengers you get.
1: Yeah, it's a formula. It's a formula. It can be uh, a mix of where I'm going to, who I'm working with on the day. I really enjoy every day I go to work some formulas are more interesting than others in terms of destination time spent there the people that you work with each day can be really really different but on a whole i would say that i enjoy coming to work because it's interesting
0: now we've we've talked about your Beautiful Vivian Westwood's yes. uniform. Um, before we finish, Nick, I also want to talk about the space we're in sure. now because in the course of this podcast, we have visited different parts of the airport, yeah, different rooms and different terminals. Mm. I think this is one of my favourites. It's a nice spot. You, you like hear. it? Yes. Yeah.
1: So this is our Virgin Atlantic Gatehouse crew room, and our operations department is next door. As you can see, there's lots of red and there's lots of sparkle and there's lots of virgin razzmatazz going on and that's how we like to do it at virgin we like to be different we like to set ourselves out from the crowd and we like to make our spaces an enjoyable space to be in you come to work and you feel like you want to be here there's all sorts of different things going on the walls a nice seating area for us to uh, sit and meet one another before we start our journeys for the day it's quite open as you can see as well, apart from these little briefing rooms where we come on and we talk about safety and we get all serious, everywhere is quite open from our management team and our operations team down that end to a mix of the crews, the flight crews and the cabin crew. It's kind of a way of probably making us all feel that we're all one team as opposed to having little departments that are sectioned off elsewhere, a very inclusive environment. And that's what Virgin's all about. We're all about Inclusivity and just making everybody feel that they can be themselves.
0: I have to say, I also liked the way when we walked in here and a briefing was finishing. Yes, and some of your colleagues were leaving. You were greeted um, a little bit <laughs> like a celebrity, Nick. There were there were hugs and embraces and pecks on the cheek from pretty much everyone you yeah, passed.
1: Yeah, lots of air kissing. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I think that like yeah, I enjoy my job and I I, I try and um, bring my personality to my. Each and every day that I go to work, so maybe that rubs off. They're all wondering why I'm here. They're wondering why I'm not on a flight. Why I'm dressed <laughs> in my sky suit and I'm not jetting off somewhere. But yeah, it's a, it's a great family. Virgin as a as a whole as a company are a great company to work for. Everybody can be themselves at Virgin, and at Manchester we're a little smaller, a little smaller base, but there's a very very much a, a family orientated feel about it, and everybody's welcome everybody can express who they are what they are where they're from you know with no fear of judgment so yeah it's a really lovely place to work
0: well nick it's been lovely meeting you and thank you so much for telling us all about your day job
1: thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for having me
0: do you know what adam as i was listening to that I found myself wondering how you and I would get on as cabin crew, whether it would suit our skill sets or whether it would be an absolute disaster.
2: Yeah, it's hard to say, isn't it? I mean, I I feel like, well, speaking for myself, it would be something you'd like to, you know, certainly like the travel aspect of it. But, you know, whether you could, you know, paint a face on and stay calm and professional at all times, I'm not sure because it definitely feels like a pressured and stressful job. But if it's for the right person, a really, really exciting one nonetheless.
0: I think the thing I would find difficult is working in that restricted space let the economy of movement of cabin crew when you're getting multiple drinks out for multiple people, you're passing it down rows, you're getting food out. Stuff very rarely gets spilt. I feel if I was doing it Adam there'd
2: be many more spillages. Absolutely. I mean, I can barely walk 10 yards without a cup of tea (laughs) spilling all over the floor and a slip hazard being created. I always wonder about, are there any kind of secret codes or hand signals they've got going on? I mean, they always seem to... My trolley always seems to not have the cheese and ham toasty, and they're always waving down. (laughs) But I sometimes wonder, are those hand signals really meaning something else? And I'd love to know if there are some sort of secret codes and messages between the teams there.
0: Okay, if you weren't going to be cabin crew, but you still had to do a job at 30,000 feet, which would you choose?
2: I'd love to think that I... um, you know, have the skills, the nerve and the composure to be uh, a pilot, but I'm not sure that's quite true. But I mean, that would be quite a cool thing to say if nothing else.
0: And what about a dream route? And you can include in this not only flight duration, but the things you can do at the place you're going to.
2: It's hard to put your finger on a single destination. And that's partly because I think the thing that would attract you about being cabin crew is you get to go to loads of different places that you might not normally have chosen to mm. go to. I know friends of mine were cabin crew for Virgin actually for years You know, one week to be in Nigeria, the next week in, you know, India, the next in, you know, some random part of the US, not one of the the core destinations. And you sort of think, how great is that? You're ticking your top five list of holiday destinations for the next year. You might not pick any of those, but you get to chalk them off, you know, over the course of your lifetime. So I think it's more about picking the weird and wonderful places that I wouldn't normally fly to, but you would get to through that job. Coming up in this series, we'll be sitting down once again with Manchester Airport's Managing
0: Director, Chris Woodruff. But this time, we want your questions for him. So whether it's something you've always wanted to know about the airport, maybe a question about his job, we want to hear from you. Get in touch using our social media channels.